to, to read out a psalm before he preaches. So we're going to read Psalm 63, and I'm reading this from the NLT. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you for as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on your thought through the night, because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silenced. Amen. Thanks very much, Matt. Uh, I, I seem to read that psalm because it reflects very much what I want to talk about today. Um, while I'm getting my bits of pieces sorted out, can I just show you the books I'm referring to today? Um, so first of all, we've got this book called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, and that one's available in the bookshop. Pam and, Pam and Roy, uh, Roy and Pam have got that in the bookshop. Uh, another one is... Restoring the Woven Cord by Michael Mitten. This talks about the uh, strands of Celtic Christianity in the church today. And it looks at various aspects of Celtic Christianity, the saints, and how much how the, it was a cord which has been unwound. We have lots of strands in different, different denominations now, but we want to get them back together again. So yeah. I've been re referring to that to, today as well. That one is, is, is a new, being reprinted. So if you want to interested in that book... See uh, Roy and Pam, they can get an order for you for that. Um, do you, have we got a price for that? It doesn't, we, they'll talk to you, won't they? About £15, yeah. Very well worth, uh, a really good read, actually. It's, there's lots of short chapters. Make a good study book for a group. And finally, the, the other book which I'm referring to quite a lot today is by Dr. Miles Munro, and it's Understanding the Purpose and Power of Prayer. Uh, an excellent book about prayer. It's got an interesting chapter at the back, about fasting as well, so it's really worth worth a good read. That one, that's also in the bookshop. So that uh, that's my advertisement. Oh, and of course, the, the other book I'm referring to <laughs> is the Bible, of course, which uh, I'm sure they've got some of them in the bookshop. If you haven't got yours, um, do you know this morning, listening to the um, enjoying the worship time and thinking about what God's got to hear to hear today, I was just thinking I've been following Jesus now for over 50 years. And I feel like I've just started sometimes. The places Jesus is taking me, where God's taking me and, and teaching me. And today we're looking at, uh, at the, the subject of solitude. And last week, you may remember, the aid talked to us about community. So I wanted to start off with a, a quote, just to put things in perspective. It's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book Life Together. 
And he says, let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. And let him who is not in community beware of being alone. In other words, what he's saying is that both are essential for a balanced life in our walk with God. Community and solitude. But we're looking at solitude today. Um, So what is solitude? It comes from the Latin word solitudinin, which Lynn would be very pleased about if she's not here, because she's a Latin speaker, (laughs) um, which means lonely. Um, But having moments of solitude doesn't mean that you're lonely. I mean, loneliness is inner emptiness. But solitude, I'd like to say, is inner fulfilment. The difference there. Dictionary definitions describe it as a detachment or separation from others, remote from society, but especially when this experience is peaceful and pleasant. So today, thinking about solitude, I'm not talking about you and nobody else. I'm talking about you and God. You and God. So solitude, first of all, is not a place. It's not we go there to follow solitude. You can do, but solitude, rather, is a state of mind and a state of heart. And it's also a stillness. It's a silence in a noisy world. But it's always listening listening to what God's got to say to you. So why should we practice solitude as Christians? Well, a good reason is that Jesus practiced solitude, and he set us a fine example in his word, and and we'd do well to follow that example. And I'd like us to look at some some of those examples he set in his his word. And, And I've identified four different types of solitude that we can think about today. The first one is set times of solitude. And these are times which are planned for a reason. So set times that we actually set. I'll talk more about all of these. The second one is regular times, which is a daily habitual practice of of getting alone with God. The third one is all times, and which is grasping every opportunity we get to be alone with God. And I hope this morning that some of you will grasp some of those opportunities just to, God will just speak to you and you'll have that moment where you're just alone with God and he's speaking, ministering to your soul. More of that. And the fourth one, uh, maybe intriguing title, is Dark Times, which is a special encounter with God. A special encounter of grace. So let's just take them one at a time. The first one is then set set times of solitude. And these are times of solitude that we set aside for a purpose or a reason. And the first example I'd like to look at is Jesus. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus was led into the desert for 40 days to fast and to be tempted by the devil. There's a parallel here with uh, Deuteronomy 8 where the Israelites are led into the desert for, not 40 days, but for 40 years. And in verse 2 of of chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, it says, They're led into the desert to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep God's commands. And in this example of Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus is subjected to a similar test, but it proves that he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look at Matthew 4, verse 4, and that's one of the quotes he gives back to Satan when he's tempting him. 
every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus entered this time, this period of solitude, to be prepared and to be set apart for his ministry to follow. You may remember that Jesus was baptised and he went into the wilderness and then his ministry followed that. But I'd like us to note, actually, if, if, you, if those who've got the Bibles open, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. This was a power of the Spirit of God that you may remember. When Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist and as he came out, the Spirit of God came upon Jesus by the River Jordan. And then 14 verses later in Luke 14, uh, after Jesus had finished his 40 days of fast, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So he, he went out in the power of the Spirit, came back in the power of the Spirit. And I like to just think that Jesus, he didn't set himself aside, didn't go through this fast and through this difficult time to receive power from God. Rather, he went out in this time in the power of the Holy Spirit prepare himself. He went out there in the power that God had given him before he went out. And he went out to prepare himself for ministry. So the Holy Spirit is in us. He's called our comforter and our helper. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God to help us learn and know more of Jesus. So when we set these times aside, don't think I'm going to go there and to get more Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in you. If you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living. Ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to take you into those times of solitude and learn more about what God wants to teach you. And then there's another occasion in Luke 6. Um, you may, may remember the account that Jesus set aside a whole night to pray and be alone with his Father. And I'm sure some of you... Uh, who like to study the Bible, would know that the day after that, he chose the twelve. Just think, he spent a whole night in preparation, hearing the Father to choose the twelve. Do you know, these set times are essential times for us to be prepared by God for ministry and service. It gives us time to listen and to hear from God and to be in tune with his voice. I'd like to just refer to this book, the Restoring the Woven Cord. There's a chapter on here on Cuthbert, St. Cuthbert. And St. Cuthbert, at the early part of his ministry, he spent years alone with God. Um, in Linda's farm, he built a shack, but it was too close to the rest of the monastery. So he actually moved to the Farne Islands, which was thought to be possessed by evil spirits at the time. And he spent ten years um, praying in spiritual warfare. But, you know, he learnt how to fight the battle for God. And he learned how to overcome the enemy. And uh, he went on from there to preach in the villages. And there's an occasion, which some of you might, know, might well know, it's, it's a quite a well-known occasion. That as, as, as Cuthbert continued to preach, he was aware of the presence of the evil one come to disrupt the ministry. And as Cuthbert continued to preach, the devil set down mock fire to a nearby house. And the Bede, the Venerable Bede, who wrote, a historian of the time, wrote, Sheets of flame, fanned by the wind, seemed to sweep through the whole village, and the noise of their crackling rent the air. Cuthbert managed, with outstretched arms, to restrain a few of the villagers, 
But the rest, almost the whole crowd, leapt up and vied with each other in throwing water on the flames. But real water has no effect on phantom fire. And the blaze raged on until, through Cuthbert's prayers, the father of lies fled, taking his false fire with him into the empty air. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And th these occurrences were commonplace. And I, th and I think some parts of the world today, they are commonplace. We need to fight spiritual battles. We need to learn how to take the word of God uh, and, and go into the battlefield, yeah. as Cuthbert did. Yeah. Amen. I've put that Cuthbert received discernment, not fear. He didn't fear, but the power to pray and cause the enemy to, to flee. So this first one, set times. I want to encourage, not just yourselves, but myself as well, to make set times to be alone with God. It may be an hour. It may be five minutes. It may be an evening, maybe a day, maybe a weekend. You may want to go away for a week. But have these set times where you can be prepared. You can receive from God to be prepared for service with him. Second one is regular times of solitude. This is a habitual regular time set aside to spend in solitude with God. It's often called, I don't know if everybody, everybody knows the, the, the phrase now, the quiet time. We still call it the quiet time. I just the quiet time. It's that time that we set to be alone with God. On a daily basis. And we read in Luke 5 that it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, all refer to Jesus going to spend time alone in prayer. Up a mountainside by himself. Very early in the morning in a solitary place. And often he'd go aside to spend time with God. Uh, after the miracle, after the feeding of the 5,000, he sent the disciples off and went up to a mountainside to pray. And then immediately after that, he walked across the water out to the disciples. It's what gave God, the power, Jesus, the power to hear from the Father. And at one, one, position, one time, he was actually praying in earshot of the disciples. And they thought, he does that an awful lot, doesn't he? Shall we, uh, uh, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? And from that came the Lord's Prayer, which is quoted every Sunday in many churches. And in his, in his book on prayer, Dr. Uh, Miles Monroe suggests that Jesus would spend up to five hours in an evening in prayer. And then, during the day, he'd spend two minutes casting out a demon. Or he'd spend 60 seconds healing a leper. Or he'd spend two seconds healing a blind man. Note the pattern. Five hours of prayer for two hours of ministry. I mean, how do, we, how do we respond to this? I mean, we've got this festival coming, bright, the bright festival coming, which is a, a, a day's event. And how many hours is it going to be, Matt? Well, two until eight. Two till eight, so six hours, six hours of ministry to the town. How are we going to prepare for this? How, how much prayer, how much time alone with God are we going to give so that we're in tune with what the Father wants? It's a challenge to every one of us here today. Yeah. It really is. And, and uh, Miles Monroe goes on in his book to, to look at the results of Jesus' regular intimacy with the Father. In John chapter 5, in the first 17 verses, we read the account of where Jesus heals a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. 
uh, and this man's lying by the pool of Bethesda. And he said, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. But you know, some of the religious rulers of the day weren't very happy because it happened on the Sabbath. And they got a bit angry about that. But in in verse 17, Jesus said these words, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I, too, am working. So in effect, Jesus was saying, I spent time with my father this morning. I already had my whole day worked out for me because I had fellowship with the one who made days. So in essence, what we should do should be a manifestation of what God, the Father, shows us work he has already prepared for us to do. That time spent with him. So find time to be alone with God daily, listening to him. Maybe you say, I'm too busy. And I know, you know, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I know what it's like when you've got children, it's very difficult. When you've got a busy job, but uh, Martin Luther, a great, uh, George Muller, Bristol, all these men who, who were busy warriors for God, they said that if they had a busy day ahead, they would spend more time in prayer. Because the more prayer they, they, gave, they, they did, the more they got done. <coughs> As an encouragement. So regular solitude with God, important. And then thirdly, at all times, finding solitude in God, with God in all things. Uh, I just like to, I love the way Jesus was very in tune with creation and he crafts moments uh, of solitude with God for himself and for his followers. You may remember the times when he said, consider the birds, consider the ravens, consider the lilies of the field. I want to tell a story, so I'll look, see somebody sowing seed, you use the parable of the sower. Maybe the weeds are pearls of great price. And then the Apostle Paul encourages the the Ephesians to pray in the spirit on all occasions. Don't lose time. He encourages the Thessalonians to pray continually. So what what I'd like to say to all of us is take advantage of those little solitudes that fill our day. Fill our day. Foster in his book um, gives a, a list of places where we could just find time. Those little solitudes. Maybe early in the morning, I don't know about the rest of you, but I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night. And I found that it's a great time just to sort of focus on God. I normally go back to sleep then, but it's, it's a lovely time just to sort of think, Lord, and, and things come to mind. And you think, oh, I just pray about that. Then you go back to sleep. Over coffee in the morning, just find time to spend time with God. Um, it's been met many of them this week in a traffic jam. For those who drive to work, you get stuck in a traffic jam. You know, you can either get, or you can say, Lord, you're with me. Let me just time, spend time with you. When you're out walking, seeing a flower, seeing a bird, seeing a tree, seeing a smile. I see a smile. I <laughs> saw I always love to see Matt in the morning. He's always smiling. Um, I mean... This week, on, on thir- Thursday, my daughter, uh, for some of you know I like to do some running. In fact, I run with many of you here. Um, and uh, my daughter went out for an early morning training run, so we're training for a, another marathon. But, uh, so I thought, well, not to be outdone, when all that lovely powdery snow started falling in the afternoon, I thought, put the shoes on and go out for a run. 
And I thought, I'll go out and practice a bit of solitude. Well, he'd been, he had just been stuck in the subject for a week. You, you know, you, it's easy to do that. And so I thought, oh, well, okay, God, what are you going to teach me? And, you know, I had lots of things. It was just God just spoke to me in that hour and a half I was out running. I was just, it, was, it warmed the heart that there were fathers and mothers on a Thursday out there with their kids who should be at school sledging. Yeah. You know, just family time together. That was wonderful. Um, I was going along there and uh, I went into the Dartington estate and it was still fresh enough that I was running on virgin snow, this white snow. And I, I, I just came to my mind that verse in, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 1 where it says, Though your sins are be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And that, 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 that text refers to the colour scarlet. Actually, I don't know if people know about this, but scarlet as a dye comes from um, insect shells and it's very hard to produce and so very expensive. But as a dye, it's very, very persistent. So it was, it was valued, greatly valued as a dye. Very hard to get out. So when you think about our sins, we may think the hard to get out, but, but Jesus, by dying on the cross for us, can actually remove those stains and make it as white as snow, as white as that snow. Wonderful. And I was running along thinking, thanks God, that's two things you've given me on my little run. And I was just enjoying the, I was looking for, I was looking for more, as you do, and I saw the trees and all, and all the brand, winter branches and all the intricate patterns. And then suddenly there's a gust of wind. And normally you feel it and you just, wow. But because, it, because of that fine powdery snow was on all the branches, suddenly I saw this powdered snow just whirling, swirling around. And I thought, it's like the Spirit of God, isn't it? We sometimes say the Spirit of God as seen as the wind. Well, suddenly I could see it. And I thought, wow, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Spirit of God is with us at all times. Yeah, and God just revealed that. And there's something else revealed to me as well, but I'll go on, move on, because otherwise I'll run out of time. But, <laughs> but look for God in everything. He's there. Look for God everywhere. He is everywhere. And then I want to go on to the fourth one. It's what I call the dark times of solitude. Again, I refer to uh, the Richard Foster book, which is a celebration of, of discipline. Um, there's a, there was a, a 16th century mystic and friar and priest called St. John of the Cross who wrote poems and studies on the growth of the soul. And in the piece poem, The Dark Night of the Soul, he describes the journey of the soul to a mystical union with God. When we say mystical, we're talking about things which are beyond our intellect, a spiritual apprehension of truths which are beyond intellectual comprehension. Uh, and dark, in this case, means the unknown or the incomprehensible. So these dark times of solitude are not something bad sent to punish us, but they are to be welcomed. They set us free into a deeper relationship with God. We can enter these places sometimes in a sense of dryness, sometimes in a sense of lostness or depression, where things such as Bible reading... Things like praying and fellowship together fail to move us or excite us. We might be saying to ourselves, God, the preacher's a bit boring. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or we might say, the worship is a bit ineffective or weak, which it, it certainly wasn't this morning, folks. But you know, sometimes we can get to that state where there's nothing that's going to excite us. Yeah. No, nothing that's going to move us on. 
And at such times, don't look for more exciting things. Don't think that church is, is, is dying, but I'm going to move on to another church. Rather, recognise it as God lovingly drawing you in away from every distraction so that you can see him more clearly. Don't fight it. Be still. Wait and listen. I'm not talking about a, a dullness that comes from sin in our life or from a lukewarm relationship with God. I'm rather, I'm talking about somebody who's genuinely seeking God and, is, and enters this place, this dark, dry place. And a good example of this is our Lord Jesus experiences at Gethsemane. Matthew 26, that we read, Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This experience moved Jesus to accept his Father's will, to acknowledge that he trusted his Father. It was painful, but it was essential to prepare him for what lay ahead. You can, see, you can just imagine God saying, my son, it's going to be hard, but trust me. There's a, as another example, there's a, a wonderful book in the Bible, the book of Job, quite a, quite a weighty book, quite difficult to read. Um, those who've tried to know. Uh, but Job knew this dark time. We're told that Job was a blameless and upright man. He feared God and he shunned evil. Model follower of God. But do you know, he was afflicted. He lost his family. He lost his possessions. And even his health was afflicted. And he found himself in this situation of everything, the whole world had turned upside down. Fortunately for Job, or maybe unfortunately, he had three well-meaning friends. <laughs> and there was a, what, the first one, Eliphaz, uh, he said, who said to him, You must have sinned, Job. Mm, okay, thanks. Thanks, Eliphaz. <coughs> and in the second speech, You obviously don't fear God enough. Or you must have great wrongdoings, Job. Oh, thanks for that, Eliphaz. You know, great friend you are. And the second friend was uh, probably the smallest man in the Bible. It's Bill Dad the shoe height. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no more jokes after that, sorry. Um, but Bill Dad, Bill Dad said, Job, you need to repent. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Bill Dad. God punishes the wicked. None can be righteous, Job. Okay, thank you for that advice, Bill Dad. Great. And then there's Zophar, who was a bit harsher. You know, you deserve worse, Job. The wicked shall suffer. You only got two speeches in Job. Uh, and then there's a younger man, Elihu, who, who actually gave probably slightly better advice than his elders. But then there's Job's wife who said, Look, Job, just curse God and die. Then finally Job, in his state of despair, was left alone with God. And it was at that time that God came to him and he revealed to him much of his glory, that all-powerful nature, an all-powerful glory. And he said, look, Job, this is who I am. I'm the one who, who set the world in place. I'm the one who created everything you see around you. you know, God re-established Job, and he gave double back to Job. Went through that, that dark place. You know, God wants to show us more of his glory. So when, when, if you do enter these times, See it as a gift of God, part of his grace to you. 
I've nearly finished. So, just in closing thoughts, there's a few, a few points to think of. First of all, spiritual disciplines, and solitude is one of the spiritual disciplines, be alone with God. They are things that we do. So if we talk about entering into times of solitude with God, but it doesn't work its way into our experience, we're missing the point somewhere. We're not doing it. It's got to be something we do. We need to be disciplined. So find practical ways of exercising solitude, being alone with God. The set times when there's an event in your life and you want to just say, God, prepare me for that event. Daily times, regular times, so we can just hear from God on a daily basis, so he can give us his spirit. Grasp times, times that we can just grasp, look for God in everything about our daily work. And then recognising those dark times where God draws us to a place we might not want to go, but he's drawing into, uh, into his love and grace to teach us more about his nature and how much he loves us and how he can actually prepare our lives for what lies ahead. Shortly, we're going to celebrate communion. That's going to come and celebrate communion. And this is a great time, uh, even in a crowded church like this, if we can just actually enter into that solitude of thankfulness to God for sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. And we can, uh, that thankfulness to Jesus that he gave his life and came and suffered what he did for us. And thankfulness for the Holy Spirit who can actually give us that power that we need in our lives. But before Matt comes, I'd just like to leave with you a poem. It's a poem which, uh, it's got five verses to it. It's a poem which my, my father uh, wrote in my address book when I was just a, just a tiny wee, wee kid. Uh, it describes how God knows us from the beginning to the end. And how he's making something beautiful of us. I'm sure many of you will know this poem. It's by Benjamin Malachi Franklin. And it's called Just a Weaver. I've got copies of this if people want to take, take those away to put on their, uh, on their uh, fridges or something. It's not postcards like that. But... <laughs> Here we go. Just a weaver. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow. And I in foolish pride... Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives his very best to those who leave the choice with him. <laughs>